All right, if you have your Bibles with you, how many of you love the Word of God? Now, on Wednesday nights, we've been going through uh, 2 Peter. I've taken this group through Jude, through 1 John, and now we're in 2 Peter. And I got great response from those series. And, uh, you know, why am I going through uh, verse by verse like this? Because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And instead of harping on a few pet verses and just building our church on that, I think our church ought to be built on the whole counsel of God, on everything the Bible says. And I believe that Christians are made strong by understanding the Word. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. And so tonight we're continuing in 2 Peter. And remember, everybody, Jude was leveled at false teachers. First, John dealt with false teachers all throughout. And now 2 Peter's harping on the same thing. And so there must have been a problem with false teachers. Thank God there's no such problem today. I know I say that every week. What scares me is when somebody says amen. There's always been a problem with false teachers, and we've got them now. And um, so let's see what the scriptures have to say tonight. Characteristics of false teachers continued from last week. You know what I'm going to ask you to do. Let's stand for, to read one verse, and then you can be seated the rest of the time. But this honors the Word of God. Let's read now. Peter is not out to win friends, as was Jude nor John. Are you ready? These are wells without water clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. Father, thank you for the Word. Open our understanding to it tonight. Feed us. Help us to chew on it and be, Lord, matured by it. And thank you for increasing our understanding in it and giving us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen bless you. You can be seated. Now, let's just do this. Now, as, as those of you who have been going through this with me know, I'm going to go every once in a while, I'm going to focus on a Greek word. We all need to understand, every Christian should know that the New Testament was written in Greek and the Old Testament in Hebrew. Everybody should know that Jesus spoke in King James. Everybody said amen. Come on down here for a second. Okay. The New Testament was written in Greek. So every once in a while, I'm just going to show you a Greek word, uh, transliterated, not the Greek letters, but transliterated into English, just so you can get a feel for how the word was written, uh, some of the verbiage, some of the words that, that Peter used. And keep in mind that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Theonoustos is the word for inspiration. It means breathed out by God. All Scripture. So you're, you're holding in your hand a divine book. There is no book like this book. I mean, there's a lot of books written from this book, but there is no book like the Bible that claims about itself all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, breathed out by God. So let's look at what Peter was talking about here. He's talking about the false teachers. He said, there are wells without water, clouds carried about with a, uh, with a tempest. Now, the word wells there is the Greek word pege, and it means spring. Pege is spring. But the Greek word that's normally used for well is freyar, freyar. So why in the world did Peter use pege and not freyar, the word usually used for well? He used pege to emphasize 
an ever unpleasing living fountain. Now here's what he's telling us about these false teachers. That they weren't just every once in a while disappointing or just once disappointing. But they promised something that was never delivered. They promised things that never happened. It was false teaching. And I've told you folks a lot, and I'll tell you again tonight. Teachers need to be very, very careful what they teach God's people to expect from God. Because in our day, we're basically taught that if you say the right thing, kind of pull the right lever, God in heaven jumps. But I've learned God doesn't jump. God is a sovereign God. And I've learned that you've got to be very, very careful what you teach God's people to expect from God. Because if you teach them wrong and tell them to expect things that God didn't really promise, then when they don't experience this, then they have, they have disappointed hope. And depending on the level of expectation that they had and the severity of the problem they were experiencing they needed help with, they can either have their faith scandalized a little bit or they can actually, actually just walk away from the church and say what I was told God would do, He didn't do. Now these false teachers were smooth talkers. But what he's telling us about them, he said, Peter's saying, I'm not going to use the normal word for well, because what they really were was an everlasting spring of disappointment. They, they eternally, endlessly disappointed. And so it was really a bummer to be under these people. Amen? And so these false teachers promised refreshing water, but instead they were sources of endless disappointment. They were springs gone dry. Clouds that promised rain, but it never rained. Well, I'll tell you, there was a few days like that this summer for me. Begging for rain. I was about ready to go out back and do a rain dance. And, and uh, all my grass was dying, and no matter how much I watered it. And, you know, every once in a while some clouds would come over, and I thought about these false teachers. Because Peter calls them clouds without water. You go, oh, no, good, here comes some rain. But the clouds never delivered. And the false teachers never deliver. That's what he's telling us. Clouds is translated a mist, a fog. Carried about is from the word meaning to drive. It's used of the wind that drives ships or that drives clouds through the sky. And then he says a tempest, lilaps, meaning a whirlwind, a tempestuous wind, a violent wind. Look how he's describing these false teachers. They promise something, they don't deliver. When they do come on the scene, they're like a storm. They don't bring peace. They don't bring tranquility. They bring storms. A tempest here, lilaps, that word is never a single gust, nor a steadily blowing wind, but it's a storm breaking forth from black thunderclouds in furious gusts with floods of rain and throwing everything topsy-turvy writes one commentator. Now I'm going to tell you, that's exactly what false teachers do. They come in, they look like they're going to deliver something. They say things that are wonderful. Smooth words, smooth operators, smooth talkers. And they tell you different things about God. But they don't deliver. Their words don't deliver. Clouds that don't bring rain. And then, by the time their doctrine has had its work in the body, they leave a storm behind them. 
You can tell what you've been under. Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. He said, he said you're not going to get, and I'm paraphrasing here, you're not going to get uh, um, stickers out of an apple tree, but you're not going to get apples out of a thorn bush either. When false teachers have been on the scene, once their teaching settles into the body of Christ, and remember, these people had infiltrated the body of Christ. Last week we showed you, Peter said, they are in your love feasts. They're eating with you, fellowshipping with you, and you're even letting them teach. But see, the proof is always in the end of a thing, not the beginning of a thing. A lot of things can look good in the beginning and be horrible in the end. And these false teachers and their false doctrine, when they leave, it's like a tempest. It's like a storm has blown through. You're not settled and neither is the body of Christ. You know, I've heard teaching many, many, many times. I'm, I'm 53, but I've been around since I was 18 in the body of Christ. I've seen a lot. And I'm going to tell you, I've seen false teachers come in who are expert at saying some, some right things and then they insert the wrong. And, and they so a falsehood, and they, they skew and, and misrepresent and twist the word. And the effect is always the same. The body of Christ is troubled. It's like a storm has gone off in their soul. And you know, sometimes you can be listening to something, and your spirit is just unsettled. You can't put your finger on it. You don't know what's wrong intellectually. But you know that for some reason it's troubling you. That's the Holy Ghost doing like the robot in Lost in Space. Warning! Warning! Isn't that kind of what he did? I watched that show just to watch him. Warning! <laughs> All right. The Holy Ghost will grieve you and tell you that something is, is wrong that you're hearing when even you can't intellectually know what it is. So Peter's telling us the effect these people have. Now, he says they're headed for the mist of darkness, or the mist of darkness is waiting for them. Mist of darkness in the Greek language is literally translated the blackness of the darkness. The blackness of the darkness. You know, folks, I got to tell you, the Word of God just rocks my soul. It rocks my soul. When you look at the power of these words, you just let them affect you. It just, it just, uh, the word sets me on fire, and it, and it just amazes me. And notice here, there is, there is a, there is a blackness of the darkness awaiting people who don't know Christ. Now, when he says is reserved, that's translated, has been reserved with the present result that it is kept in store now. This mist of, of darkness, this place where the lost will go, is, has, has always been, and it's being reserved and stored right now. So when we get to words like this, it's extremely sobering and it's very humbling because, but for the grace of God go we. And I want you to notice now, he says forever. This mist of darkness is, is forever. Uh, if you read it in the Greek, it would read like this, ace ionis. The word ace means into and Ionis is the ages. It is without end. The mist of darkness awaiting people who have rejected Christ, it reaches into the ages. It goes millennium after millennium, age after age. 
ages on top of ages, ace ionis, into the ages it reaches, and it never stops. That's what he's telling us here. So anybody that ever comes along and says, well, there's no hell, and there's, you know, I don't know about eternity, and uh, folks, I want you to just look at what Peter wrote by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. Blackness of the darkness, Asionis, into the ages. Let's read the translation, can we? These are springs without water and mists driven by a tempest for whom the blackness of the darkness forever is kept. Mm. Say with me, heavy stuff. Say, thank God I'm saved. Thank God for the blood. Oh, I'm telling you, I, just getting ready for these messages, I, I'll stop sometimes and say, Lord, thank you for the blood. Where would we be without the blood of Jesus? We'd be judged, we'd be condemned, we'd be lost. And we would be headed towards the, the blackness of the darkness, ages without end. Now let's read verse 18 together, can we? For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. This is such an important verse right here. Great selling, uh, swelling words means words spoken with an oratorical flair that would impress the hearers. They, they, were, they were charismatic. They were, uh, they were slick. They were, they were verbose. They, they knew how to talk. They could hold you. They used slick words, smooth words. Their, their, their messages were appealing. You know, the enemy doesn't stick out there in front of you a little red devil with a long tail and a pitchfork. The devil will put in front of you what allures, what is appealing, what draws you. Now, so these people were experts with their words. The phrase actually means extravagant, expressive of arrogance. These were high-sounding words, but they had no substance. Remember, clouds without rain. They were impressive, but there was no rain. You listened, but nothing came of it. Now he says, great swelling words of vanity. The word vanity here is vain, empty, in the sense of futile, in vain. In other words, their extravagant speeches amounted to nothing. Their words did not fulfill that which the speeches promised. We're about to get a whole lot of that right before, right before voting time. <laughs> I had to throw that in. I mean, I think I've already made just about a decision. I'm not going to watch any TV. I can't stand it. Because if you want to see this verse taken out of a spiritual context, there you go. Extravagant speeches amounting to nothing. Their words don't fulfill what the speeches promise. <laughs> He had to be thinking about the American political system when he wrote that. But you know, preachers can do the same. If they're not ministering to you the Word of God, and they're promising you things that they want you to believe that they can't base on Scripture, it's the same thing. Those fancy speeches 
sound great, but they don't amount to anything. They do not change you. They don't deliver what they promised. Amen? Now, all they did was to serve as bait to the hearers so that they would become followers of the false teachers. That's the only reason. Matter of fact, the word allure, they allure with these speeches, is to catch by bait, to beguile, and to entice. These false teachers allure through the lusts of the flesh. They appeal to the cravings of the lower nature. The evil nature is that which they catch hold of to lead their hearers astray. You know, let me just say something here. I think some of the false teaching that is out there, and you've got to be careful, any teaching that comes from the Word of God that is biblical is going to minister to your spirit man. It's going to build you up in the faith. It's going to strengthen your relationship with Christ. It's, it's going to stir up the gift of God that is spiritually within you. But false teaching will try to put a hook on something fleshly. Money, sexual sin, any one of a number of things. The, the false teaching will always reach out there and stir something up that is fleshly and not spiritual. This is for certain. So when you listen to somebody teaching the Word of God, is what they're saying, is it building you up in the faith? Build yourself up in your most holy faith? Is it doing that? Or is it, is it stirring something in you that is fleshly? Greed or lust or unforgiveness or pride? Because false teaching always seeks to put a hook in your lower nature and tug it. Anybody know what I'm saying here? Well, you can't tell me that the teaching of Islam, that if you become a martyr and you're going to go up into some heaven and have a bunch of virgins, isn't trying to put a hook in your lower nature. That's just as false as it could be. Anything that Jesus is going to minister to you and me, it's going to pull on our spirit. It's going to edify our spirit and give peace and strength and increase our faith. And it's going to make us want to pursue spiritual things and not fleshly. That's what real teaching, Bible teaching does. It makes you just want to go and it, it increases your hunger and your thirst for God. It makes you want to pursue righteousness and peace and joy, the things that money cannot buy. That's what Bible teaching does when it's rightly taught. Are y'all with me? And look what it says the way Jesus said this about himself. He said, the prince of this world is coming. Remember when he said this? And he has nothing in me. What was Jesus talking about? He was saying, Satan is coming, but he has found nothing, no fallen nature in me to put a hook in. See, when the enemy comes to you and me, folks, he looks for a place in our soul, in our flesh, to put a hook in. And with Jesus, Jesus said, he's coming, but he can't find anything in me because I don't have a fallen nature. So there's no place for him to put a hook and to pull me. But you and me, we need him. 
We need Him every day. We need to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. We need to strengthen ourselves in our faith. Because as long as we do that, He'll try to put hooks into your flesh, something in your lower nature. But as long as you're seeking the Lord and staying strong in Him, He's not going to succeed in doing that. Okay? Now, look what He says about them. Through much wantonness. They were operating in wantonness. Well, what is that? Well, wantonness in this verse is plural, and it refers to wanton acts or manners as filthy words, indecent bodily movements, unchaste handling of males and females. That is exactly what wantonness means. So they were using the flesh to hook their listeners. I don't exactly know what they were doing. I know it was some things they were saying for sure. But they were using flesh hooks to draw these people into their false teaching. And these false teachers used bait to catch their hearers, satisfying the cravings of the fallen nature in the realm of wanton acts or manners. They, these false teachers used bait. We've all seen commercials on TV, especially on a Saturday morning. My gosh, I'm surprised lightning doesn't strike every TV station in America on Saturday, Saturday mornings, there's so much lying going on. Because all you do is flip the channels and somebody is telling you how to get rich quick. How to get rich quick. And what are they doing? In, in 15 seconds, if you're open to it, they'll grab you and tell you how to get rich quick. They seize your flesh. Now, he talks about, say this with me, would you? Those that were clean escaped. Who do they have in their crosshairs? more than anybody else, these false teachers. The word clean is from a word meaning in a little degree or scarcely, scarcely, barely. Now, what are we talking about? Escaped denotes a process in motion, something presently going on. So here's what the verse is talking about. Those who are just about escaping, those who are in the early stage of their escape from error, and are not safe from it, and are not yet confirmed in the truth. In other words, babes in Christ, those who are not schooled in the Scriptures. Who do the cults successfully snare when they come knocking on your door? They won't come into my house anymore. Jehovah's Witnesses, I want them to come in. Hey, come on in. Put your bike right in here. I like talking to them. Because, see, what they're hoping for is babes in Christ who don't know the Word. Those who have just barely escaped, just barely have left the past behind, they're trying to find their way in Christ. Those are the ones that false teachers go for, particularly, not ex exclusively, because you can have somebody 20 years saved that doesn't know the Word of God at all. So another commentator says, those who have been impressed with Christian truth and have had strength to separate themselves from their old surroundings, but they are led to return to their old life through the compromises suggested by the false teachers. Here's what Peter is saying. The enemy focuses on the newborns. As Satan sought to kill Moses and Christ as babies, and the young Christian church with intense persecution, his method is to seek to ruin the faith of young Christians. He seeks to ruin and trap and ensnare the defenseless. 
You take the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons or any of these cults that are out there knocking on doors. If you only know a few particular things about what they teach, it's so easy to penetrate their false doctrine. And uh, I had a couple of them get up and get mad at me and yell at me and walk out the door and slam the door on me. And it's not that I wanted that. I was trying to show them the truth, but they really freak if you get too close to the truth. What did that Jack Nicholson character say in that movie? You can't handle the truth! (laughs) So the enemy, like if you get out of the Word or if you're young in Christ, he's coming to stop you before the Word takes root. And those of you, some of you listening by radio right now, you're brand new in Christ. And the enemy is trying to derail you before you get going. This is what Peter's telling us. He says, he seeks to ruin the defenseless. And who does it? Them who live in error. Those who are living in error are the ones who try to bring others into error. This is the false teacher. Error means a wandering, a straying about. And that's exactly what false teachers do. They wander. They stray about. They're not accountable to anybody. They're not rooted anywhere. They teach what they want to teach. They go out there and they try to bring disciples to themselves. And as we saw last week, in most cases, they're after your money. I'm going to say it again. In most cases, they're after your money. If you, if you missed last week, go get the tape because Peter literally told us They're teaching this so they can snare you and bring you into their group and get your money. And all day long, these false teachers were living luxuriously, not working, living off the money they got from people who had been deceived and led astray by them. I was sent an email today. The latest guy walking around calling himself Jesus. Uh, It is the most bizarre thing, and I saw a news uh, show on it. Um, He literally has a a fairly large following. The reporter went up to him and said, now I understand that uh, you're making a particular claim. He said, yes, I am. I I am Jesus Christ manifested on the earth. She said, really? Oh, yes. And my followers all know it. And then he says, see, I have three Rolexes. And he said, women just give them to me. As the women came and washed Jesus' feet and poured expensive uh, perfume on him, or ointment on him. And they do this with me because I am Christ manifested back on the earth. And I'm looking at the people who are sitting in his crowd, businessmen, businesswomen, and I'm going, how can this be? Here's how it can be. They don't know the word. So they're like, they're like cotton ready to be picked. They're just sitting there. They don't know the word. So anybody, I'm Jesus. Oh my gosh, I've been waiting for you. Here's a Rolex. But this is, and so what is this guy doing? It showed them running up when he was finished and dumping money in buckets and and different reservoirs. And he drove off in some high level car with all this money. Jesus, you understand. But false teachers folks are always after your money. According to Peter. Not Jeff. According to Simon Peter. Now, 
Translation, can we read it together? We're headed towards the end. Is anybody blessed tonight? All right. For when, let's read it. For when they are utter, uttering extravagant things that are in their character futile, they are alluring by means of the cravings of the flesh, evil nature, by means of wanton acts, those who are just about escaping from those who are ordering their behavior in the sphere of error. Praise God. We're headed towards the close. Let's read verse 19, can we? While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same as he brought in bondage. Always remember that. Everybody is serving something. And here Peter is telling us, whatever overcomes you, captures you, that's what you serve. That's why Paul said, I won't be brought under the, the rulership of anything but Christ. Because everybody's serving something. Now, while they promised them liberty means that the false teachers were giving license to sin, calling it liberty. If it feels good, do it would have captured the thought. Telling them, you do what you want. You're free under Jesus Christ to do whatever you want. And these people telling them how to be free were not themselves free. Servants is the Greek word for slaves. While promising their listeners freedom, they themselves were not. But they were the abject slaves of sin. For of whom a man is overcome, this is one of the most powerful statements in the New Testament. Of whom a man is overcome, of the same as he brought in bondage. And I could also add to this, for of what a man is overcome. Not just whom, but what. Of the same as he brought in bondage. It translates literally this way. By whom a person has been overcome with the result that he is in a state of being under their control. To this one has he been enslaved with the result that he is in a state of slavery. That's why Paul was always calling himself the slave of Christ. The bond servant, the doulos, the slave of Christ. Every human being out there, church, is a slave of something and a slave of someone. And if they're not a slave of Christ, they serve themselves. They serve some. These people that I saw in that news story, they are the slaves of this man calling himself Jesus. Paul said, never, not me. I will not be brought under the rulership of anything but Christ. And he, I'm a slave. I'm his slave. I'm his servant. Can we read the translation? While they are promising them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person has been overcome with the result that he is in a state of subjugation, to this one has he been enslaved with the result that he is in a state of slavery. That's why the Holy Ghost will deal with you if you're in bondage to anything that, that is not him. That's why he'll deal with you about it. He'll bug you about that. You need to give that up. Smoking, drinking, drugs, anything. If it's got you and you're serving it, Holy Ghost is never going to leave you alone. In love, he's never going to leave you alone. <laughs> Amen. Because he wants us slaves of Christ. Now, 
Last couple of verses. Let's read this, can we? For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. Now this is really, really crucial that we get this. I want you to listen carefully to what I wrote here, okay? The false teachers are again the subject of this verse. Chapter 2 of 2 Peter, verse 1, tells us that they have denied, these false teachers had denied the atonement of Christ for their sins. Hence, these false teachers, according to Peter, were not saved. How could that be? Watch this. They were professing to be Christians, but they weren't saved. Our churches are full of them. They are said to have had a knowledge of Christ. It is one thing, though, to know of Him and another to know Him. Now, as I read the rest of this, here's who I'm thinking of. We've all seen, for instance, parents who raise their kids in Christianity, bring them to church, Sunday school, youth meetings. They get the Word. They know the Word. But you know, something funny happens when they go off to college and they get out from under that influence. They just go straight smack into the world like they never heard the word. And it happens all the time. Or you can have people sitting in church on Sunday and live like hell the rest of the week. I'm telling you, I think that the Western church particularly needs a clear message that we need to be born again. We must be born again. Because these, these people were teaching in the early church. I want to make that, bring it back to you over and over again. They were teaching in the early church. But here Peter is telling us they weren't even saved. And I submit to you that all over America, preachers step into pulpits in churches everywhere who have never been born again. And people sit in the pews who have never been born again. Because these people were teaching in the church eating it with them at their love feasts. They knew of him. They knew the facts about him. As a result, they were for a time able to escape the pollutions of the world. The moral and the ethical influence of the Word of God had acted as a deterrent from evil so that their outward lives had been fairly pure for a season. But eventually they became entangled in their former ways because their nature had not been changed. You know, I so believe that you've got to be born again. Jesus said, you must be born again. Now, that word entangle means, it's a powerful word, to inweave. It speaks of an interweaving, a braiding. Their returning to their immoral lives was not the act of a moment, but it was a gradual process of becoming entwined in immorality. It was incremental step-by-step process. See, it was always a part of their nature. They had never been saved. Verse 22, Peter says, but it's happened to them according to the true proverb, the dog has turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. When he quotes that, he's quoting Proverbs 26:11 in mentioning the dog. The second saying isn't found in Scripture. If you know anything of hogs, you know they love to bathe in filthy mud holes. 
Amen? So do dogs. We used to have a little Shih Tzu. It was, it was, you know, one of these dogs that you took to the, kind of the beauty parlor. And when they came out, they had a the little bow in their little ears and, and smelled like perfume and the little cute little face and the trimmed hair and, oh, aren't they just so cute? And, and we had a dog like this in East Texas. And I remember Kathy brought her home one day and and I said, oh, look at the cute little dog. And she's on the floor wagging her tail. Little ribbons, little cute little ears. And I went to go outside and go get something. <laughs> Out she went. Kathy goes, get her, get her, she's clean. It was too late. She made a beeline down the hill for the creek. Jumped in. <laughs> Just like, ah, home. Came out. Got mud all over her. I said, you... I'm in big trouble, and so are you. But it just seemed like the Lord spoke to me right then and see, you can clean the outside, but if you don't change the inside, you always go back to the mud. See? And so that's what he's saying about these people. These unsaved teachers cleaned up on the outside, experiencing an outward moral reformation, but not an inward regeneration. And they went back to their wallowing in the gross forms of sin from which they had been outwardly delivered by the cleansing action of an intellectual knowledge of the Word of God. So let's stand and read this last translation, and we're done tonight. You read it with me? Here we go. But it has happened to them, according to the true saying, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having been bathed to her ro rolling in mire... How many of you are glad for the new nature tonight? Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for the regeneration of the Holy Ghost. We thank you for the cleansing action of the Word of God. We thank you, Lord, for the born-again experience that gave us a new nature. And Lord, we pray that you will give us wisdom as a church to avoid false teaching that, that brings storm and tempest and confusion and straying from your word and expecting things that you never put in your word. And help us, Lord God, to grow into the very image of Jesus Christ. We're dependent on you, Lord. We need you. We cannot do this apart from the work of the Holy Ghost. Thank you for your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.